Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. So you got your Bibles with you today? Lift them up. Wave them at the devil. Make them mad. <laughs> A few iPads. A few big screens. Yeah, is that an iPhone 6? Larger? I could probably see, read the Bible off that one. Hallelujah. Say this after me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life to me, that it's health to my flesh, that it gives me revelation of your will for me. I'll hear it, I'll obey it, and I'll succeed in life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 27. And um, Pastor Tony has asked us to, to do a series this month. By the way, tomorrow, Pastor Tony is speaking at Raymer in Tulsa. Hallelujah. So we'll remember in our prayer. I'm sure he'll do a great job. I hope that he hasn't picked up too much of an Australian accent. They can understand him. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Psalm 20... Um, Seven, and we'll just jump, we'll come back to it uh, early, uh, later, but we'll jump to verse 13, and here David says, and I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, here David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now you may have a different translation to that, because I believe that it's a little bit hard to translate. It's more of an expression. And David goes, one translation says, Oh, if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, what would have happened to me if I had not believed in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? In fact, I think the King James says, I would have failed or, or feared or frailed or fallen or something. Anyone got it? I would have lost heart. That's New King James, is it? If I had not believed in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's interesting that King David had an understanding that his faith, what he believed, actually had an impact on what happened in his life. That the things that he believed set the direction or altered the direction of what would happen in his life. And that is quite profound. We know as Christians, and if anyone here is not a Christian, we're going to give you an, ex uh, an opportunity later in the service. But we know as a Christian that by receiving what Jesus has done for us, we can alter our alternative. But it's another question, can our beliefs alter what happens or how we respond or the outcome of things that happen in our life? The title for today's message is The Blueprint of Beliefs. Our beliefs are the blueprint for our life. And we're going to look at um, 
First of all, how important our beliefs are. Secondly, some things we can do perhaps to alter those beliefs so that the outcome of our life is more in line with what God has for us. And thirdly, what we do to then apply those beliefs. I've got some interesting facts about beliefs. Um, First of all, actually, you know, beliefs can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, Beliefs can make people do things which are quite hilarious, especially when you see something, someone doing something which you don't know why they believe that, and for you it looks funny. You know, there's one, um, one religion that has uh, secret underwear. And uh, they've been called magical underwear, not, not by them, it's been called by other people magical underwear. And they believed early in their origins that that underwear protected them. And I don't know that I can ever look at those missionaries now the same once I have found that. And I'm just wondering, you know, have they got their secret underwear on today? (laughs) You know, and we laugh and we really, but but I'm sure there's a lot of things we do that other people look at us uh, that they think are peculiar. All right. Um, so, in a Newsweek, from Newsweek magazine, a, a new study of the brain shows that facts, empirical facts and beliefs are processed in exactly the same way in our brain. So if you're formed a belief on something, your brain processes it as though it's a fact. Now, Sam Harris, who's a very famous atheist, one of the four horsemen of the atheist apocalyptic, was, was upset about this, but it gave him an insight into Christian faith because that is exactly um, what the Bible says about faith. We don't come to faith and beliefs just out of a void. Faith and belief should be formed about what we ex- assess to be true. Now, for some of us, that's very different. For Abraham and Sarah, it was very different. Abraham needed to know how mighty God was. Sarah needed to know how faithful God was. But when they assessed him as being faithful and they assessed him as being mighty, they had faith. So faith is assessed in our brain the same way that facts are. Do you know that beliefs or faith are stored in our brain in the same place that memories are stored? And that's interesting because um, if we believe in uh, something firmly, we, we no longer assess it. So when something comes our way, if we've got a firm belief, we no longer critically analyse it. We just judge it like we judge a memory. There's no doubt that I was married. It's a memory. I can remember it. <laughs> You're not the only one laughing. <laughs> okay? So faith is held in the same place in our brain as memories. Did you know that emotions act in exactly the same way as beliefs? Uh, Neuroscientists tell us that emotions act in exactly the same way as beliefs. In fact, when something happens to us, we're driving along and, and a driver cuts in front of us, we don't even have time to think about that. In the first quarter of a second, that information has hit the part of our brain that stirs up emotions. 
And so depending how we're feeling at the time or depending what's happened to us in the past, a frustration, anger, joy, those emotions are stirred up before we've even had the opportunity to assess the situation. And that's one reason as Christians we have to be very sensitive to what are our feelings. And sometimes when you're in a close relationship with someone and they say something, and have you ever been in those situations where you've said something to someone? I mean, I, people tell me this, I wouldn't know in our marriage. But, and, and the person reacts like, just out of this world, it's like, I didn't mean it like that. Because what you've said has first been assessed in the part of their brain that deals with emotions. And their emotional beliefs have struck a chord and the feeling arises before they've actually had time to assess what was said. Now that'll help you. It'll help other people in dealing with the things that they I wouldn't recommend you say, now sweetie, that's just your flesh. That's just your emotions. I wouldn't recommend that. But it's good in self-assessing. We have a saying as Christians, well, I've got the peace about that. Well, be careful. Because that may just be your emotional realm. It may just be your emotional beliefs. All right? Because it, 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 we know it stirs up emotions. Um, oh, here's an interesting one. Did you know when beliefs are acted upon? So if we've got a belief about something, when beliefs are acted upon, the neurons in the brain fire harder and faster. That's interesting. And I find it interesting because we haven't got time to go into today, but the Bible specifically tells us many times to act on your beliefs, to be careful to do it. And when we have a belief and we act on it, that is reinforced in our brain. So we know when neurons are fi firing harder and faster that that groove is getting cut deeper and deeper into our consciousness and subconsciousness. So one way to embed beliefs in our life is to act on them, whether physically or through your words. So we may not be feeling today that he's turned our morning into joy, but when we begin to lift, lift our hands and exalt him and magnify him and put actions to it and put word to it, it's actually ingrained in our consciousness and we experience that. So there's things we can do to embed beliefs in our life. And this is an interesting one, the last one. Beliefs allow us to account for things that we can't see. This is scientists have discovered this. Beliefs allow us to account for things that we cannot see, which is where which it separates us from the animal kingdom. In that if someone goes out that door and walks around the back, we still know that they're here, and we still know that they're there, and we still act as though that they're there, but animals don't. Faith allows us to act on things. Beliefs allows us to act on things, scientists have discovered, that we can't see. But we know that they're there. Now, isn't that interesting? Because what does Hebrews 11.1 say? Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So our beliefs 
become the blueprint of our lives. Turn with me to, um, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look for a few minutes at blind Bartimaeus. I find it interesting in, uh, in the, the life of Jesus that his ministry was basically divided into two things. Firstly, forming beliefs in other people and encouraging them to act on those beliefs. And that, by the way, is the basis of discipleship. That is the basic mission of the church, is to form beliefs in people and to encourage them to act on those beliefs. And then Jesus' second way that he ministered was to actually join his beliefs with other people's beliefs to alter the destiny of their life. All right? His first ministry was to form beliefs in people and encourage them to act on those beliefs. His second ministry was to join his beliefs with their beliefs to alter the path of their life. Because our beliefs are the blueprint for our life. So let's read about uh, blind Bartimaeus. Verse 46, Mark 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard, when he heard that it was Jesus, son, uh, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do, what do, you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. It's a, it's a wonderful story because the Bible and the people laid him, labeled him blind Bartimaeus. And there were certain beliefs that were the blueprint of Bartimaeus' life as to why he was sitting there on the road to Jericho begging now, I'm sure he didn't say to everyone that walked past, have, have mercy on me, heal me. He was saying to them, have mercy on me, give me some money. Because the blueprint of his faith was that they had some money and they might have mercy and give it to him. But he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing his way. I wonder what he had heard about Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says, and we may look at it later, that faith without works is dead. We can tell from Bartimaeus' actions what he believed about Jesus of Nazareth. He must have heard that Jesus of Nazareth healed people. He must have heard that there was something about him that if he cried out to him, that there was healing available to him. 
And all of a sudden, in his blueprint of his life, another belief was formed. And that belief was, if he could get Jesus to respond to him, I can be healed. And that belief acted upon became the new destiny of his life. Our beliefs are the blueprint of our life. Our beliefs govern, they're designed to govern what happens to us. They're designed to govern how we respond to circumstances and to situations. Years ago, uh, Linda and I were building a house in Jerobombra. Can everyone say Jerobombra? Say it again, please, Jerobombra. It's just a little bit of choke, you'll move into the spirit there. A little bit of choke. Um, Jerobombra is a little town outside of Canberra. Like many places around Canberra, it's an Aboriginal word. It's an Aboriginal word for place hard to pronounce. <laughs> and so we, um, we were building this house and uh, we had the opportunity to sit with the architect and draw the design. And of course, you know, they always say, yeah, you can have whatever you want. You know how these, these builders and architects, yeah, you have whatever you want, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we designed the house with lovely American dormer windows and the bottom floor, Linda had always wanted a, uh, a sunken lounge. She loves sunken lounges. Yeah, you're not a builder. <laughs> I can tell you're not a builder because a sunken lounge spoils everything. A sunken lounge changes the footings. It changes when the dozer comes in and when the bricks are laid for the footings and the concrete, and then it when all the frames are made, a sunken lounge, every other wall is exactly the same height except for the wall with the sunken lounge, and then all the way through, all the way through to the ceiling, you see? But the architect, good that he was, put this sunken lounge on the blueprint. Now, um, being involved in the building of it, I, I can count at least three times that I had to go out there and say to the builders, no, there's, to the tradesmen, no, there's a sunken lounge there. So when the levels were wrong, uh, before the concrete was poured, and when the frames came out, we were wrong. And, and we had the blueprint to show them that that is a sunken lounge. It was like, and what could they do? They've contracted, now they've contracted to build this sunken lounge, and even though at one stage, all the frames came out, they'd been pre-built in the factory, and they're trying to assemble them, and these ones just didn't fit. You see, because they were that, the wrong height. But because we had the blueprint, you got it? Because we had the blueprint, we could enforce that they take those frames back and they rebuild them. And Brian Bartimaeus here was, he had the blueprint. He had the belief that his life didn't have to stay the way that it was. All right? Beliefs are very precious to God. Very, very precious. I, I've thought about this for a long time. Why are they so precious? Do you know, in many ways, God is actually more... Um, it's more important to God that you follow your beliefs than your beliefs are strictly correct. And that's interesting. You can see some frowns there. <laughs> it's more important 
with most things, many things to do with Christianity, that if you have a firm persuasion about something, that you're obedient to that firm persuasion, rather than being disobedient to that firm persuasion. In 2 Corinthians 4, actually, I'll go back a step. Um, in um, 112 AD, anyone remember that? <laughs> there was a governor of Turkey, his name was Pliny the Junior. Now, I'm guessing there was a, a governor before him named Pliny the Senior. Uh, but it was Pliny the Junior. And they've recovered um, some, some letters that he wrote to the emperor in Rome about Christians. And uh, they're not quite sure, um, ancient historians are not quite sure how much he was bragging or just trying to impress the, the emperor. But it does reveal some interesting facts. Because in these letters, he complained that the meat markets were almost empty. That the meat markets in the northern part of what's now Tur Turkey, Asia Minor, are almost empty. Because these Christians had been getting so many people saved that the meat markets were almost empty. Because what they would do is they would, the, the pagans, the heathens, would buy the meat and they would take that meat and they would offer it as a sacrifice in the temples and then they would um, eat that meat. But with the onset of Christianity, the meat markets started to become so empty because obviously the Christians weren't going to buy meat to put in the temple. But a great issue arose in the church about whether Christians should eat the meat that was offered in the temple. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to handle it this way. He said, we know that nothing goes into us can make us uh, sinful or can it's not what comes into not what we eat all right he said and and that's a level of faith or belief that should govern your life but new christians perhaps can't eat meat that someone else has been offered so they'd go and they'd buy a cow or something and they'd chop up a leg they'd offer it to to the uh god not the christians and then they'd bring it back and they'd sell that in the meat market you got it all right so Paul said, but many Christians in good conscience can't eat of that meat. Now we know, we know as mature Christians that it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. But there were many Christians that weren't at that stage. And what did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to do? The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that if in their conscience it's wrong, then it's wrong for them. And until they grow in their faith, until they grow in their beliefs, then they need to follow the blueprint of the beliefs that they have. And I think there's many good reasons for that. And Paul explains many times, especially in Timothy, he said, uh, appointing deacons, make sure that they are met sincere people of conscience. And that word conscience means that they obey their beliefs. And then he says, for many have disobeyed their conscience. Many have disobeyed the blueprint of beliefs that they have for their life and their hearts have become seared. They can no longer hear from God. They become 
deluded in what they're doing and their life, and, the, and as a consequence, they fall astray. Because with God, it is our relationship with Him is to be prized. And the sensitivity of our heart to Him is to be prized. And when we're following, when our conviction, when our beliefs are the blueprint of our life and we're following those beliefs, then we're open to change. We can hear from God. We're sensitive to the word. And he, but, but the Holy Spirit knew that uh, if people go against the blueprint of their life, their conscience is seared. They can't grow anymore in God. They can't move where God, they can't hear where he's leading them. So beliefs, our beliefs are precious to God. It's interesting, in, um, in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7, uh, God, it's interesting how God uh, deals with Gideon. And it's quite funny, you know how we said before that you know, some people like you know, secret magical underwear, is, we think it's funny. I'm sure they don't think it's funny, the people that are wearing them. But it's quite funny to see how God deals with Gideon. And chapter 6 starts with them saying that... Uh, uh, actually, before Gideon, the, the judge was Deborah, and they had lots of victories over, over the, the enemy. And then for 40 years, there was peace in the land, but the children of Israel fell away, and they began to uh, have two bob each way with the gods. All right, so um, Gideon's father had actually built an altar to Baal on the top of the hill nearby under a, a grove of trees, and and. Uh, Gideon's father had built an altar to, to Baal because Baal was the god of the Midians. And the Midians were people who every year would come across the River Jordan with, the Bible says, camels that cannot be numbered. Um, they'd come across the Jordan and they'd raid the children of Israel. They'd take their wheat and, and all that sort of stuff and, and take their harvests you know, at the end of summer. Um, a little bit like relatives coming up from New South Wales. You understand? They come up, the, uh, the, um, or visitors from Canberra, whatever. They come up the, the, the Pacific Highway and, and they raid everything you've got and they stay. <laughs> These Midianites were actually relatives. It's true, I'm not making that up. They're relatives with so many camels that you couldn't count them. And they'd come and raid it, you see. So the Israelites were going two bobs each way. And then they were two bobs each way because they believe in Je- Je- uh, Jehovah. Uh, that reminds me. You know, you heard about uh, Jesus describing his miracles to his disciples. And he said, he said, yeah, I was walking on water. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, we heal the sick, raise the dead. No way. Jesus said, Yahweh. <laughs> so the Israelites were having two bob each way. You understand? They were, they were worshipping. They had an altar set up for Baal, and then they had an altar set up for Jehovah. And God comes down, and he sits on the hill where the altar is for Baal. And he watches uh, Gideon. And we know what Gideon was doing. Gideon was stretching the wheat. You know, you've got to, you'd throw the wheat up and you'd beat it and you'd throw it up so the wind blows away the chaff and you're left with the grain. But 
they had a deadline. Idin had a deadline because the Camel Express was coming in. Camels, as far as the eye could see, were coming in with empty sacks. If you've ever been to New Guinea, that's the flight to Australia with the empty sacks, true? And the flight back is the one with the full sacks. Unless you're in New Guinea, the flight to Port Moresby, there's no chickens. The flight back is the one with chickens. <laughs> right. Okay, that's true. So he was digging in, he was in the wine press. Now, a wine press was a big um, stone hole in the ground and had a groove underneath it. Of course, the idea was to put the wine in there, so it might be about that high. The idea was to put the wine in there and to press it out and it drained out the bottom. But because they never quite knew when the Camel Express was coming through, they put the wheat in there and it's end of summer in Israel. All right? So it's hot and he's sweating and he's, he's blowing this chaff, and he, I can just imagine, whip, 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 and of course you're in the, in the uh, wine press, there's no wind. He didn't want the Midianites to see him. If he came in, he could just hide. See? So you can imagine throwing the chaff up and going, blowing away the chaff, next one, and he would have been covered with wheat chaff, right? So you can imagine this, his little eyes blinking, covered in chaff. All right? Like a lamington. An Israelite lamington with wheat chaff. And little eyes go pop, 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 like this. And God is sitting up there on the hill watching him. Now, God's blueprint for Gideon's life was obviously quite different to Gideon's blueprint, true? All right? So, what has God called Gideon? We know the story. He says to Gideon, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. It's a little bit like those secret underpants, you know, because Gideon's beliefs were not God's beliefs. And from, you know, a few thousand years later, we can sit here and laugh, but it was serious for Gideon, covered in chaff. He hears someone say, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, that you don't obey your conscience, you don't obey your blueprint of your faith, your heart gets seared. And Gideon was totally deluded. Because he, he says to him, he says to God, um, where have you been? He said, where is all the, where's the God we hear about uh, of, of our fathers that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God is sitting at an altar made to Baal. And Gideon's saying, where have you been? And then Gideon, God's, God's just, it must have gone through the keeper, through the keeper for God, because he then said to Gideon, he said, go in your strength. Go in your strength. And Gideon said, you're not listening. You're not listening. I'm the weakest. I'm the weakest of my tribe, the weakest, the weakest tribe of Israel, and I'm, I'm the weakest in my family. And God had to change these beliefs in Gideon that were holding him back. God had to change the blueprint of his beliefs. So what did God do? God said, I want you to chop down this altar. And actually, in the verses before it, it said God had already sent a prophet to remind him, 
It remind, the prophet reminded the children of Israel of how he brought them out of Egypt. It reminded the children of Israel of his word that said, there shall be no other gods other than me. And he reminded the children of Israel that you have rejected that and you've turned to other gods. But Gideon was so deluded, and if we do not obey the blueprint of our faith, we become deluded. We get a deluded sense of reality as God sees it. So God systematically knocked down a series of beliefs that Gideon had. And the first one he knocked down was Baal. Put your trust only in me. Of course, Gideon wasn't that convinced. So Gideon said, well, if I'm going to knock down this, this altar, I'm going to do it at night in case anyone sees me, in case those camels come in as far as the eye can see. Yeah, it would be pretty embarrassing being down there knocking down the Midianites' altar to Baal and the camels coming. You just see them knocking it down in the middle of the day and then through the hill you see those camels coming. You go, oh no, I've been caught. So he gets 10 of his workers and he knocks it down. It's his father's altar and he knocks it down. And God changes that belief in Gideon because the next day the town's very upset and they come, they hear it's Gideon. One of his 10 workers must have gone down to the pub and told someone. All right, and he finds out it's Gideon and he comes back and Gideon's father has the sense to say, well, why are you acting on behalf of Baal? If Baal really is God, then Baal can deal with Gideon. And they change Gideon's name to see someone to be someone who Baal's going to deal with and we'll see. And then the other beliefs, we know the story where the God had to change. Now, God was acting like God acts. Romans 4, 17, Abraham had faith in God who raises the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. And that's what this month's teaching is about. That we are to act on our faith and call into being those things that don't exist. And God was calling into being step by step Gideon's uh, the new faith, the new blueprint of Gideon's life, to the point that Gideon had 22,000 at one stage to take on the enemies, and God said, no, not that many. God said, no, not that many, and he weaned it down to 300 people, and he said, so you can realize that deliverance doesn't come by your own hand. All right? Turn with me to, and, uh, to 2 Corinthians 4. And we'll see um, what Paul's got to say about beliefs and how they impact his life. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. I'm going to jump through. Um, I'm going to jump through these scriptures. So. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Now we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That was a belief that Paul had that he wanted people to act on. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. His belief that says, No matter what affliction comes my way, the blueprint of my life is that I won't be crushed. And then he says, we're perplexed, we're not sure what's happening, but we won't be driven to despair. And then he said, we're 
persecuted by the world, but God never forsakes us. We may be struck down, but we won't be destroyed. Is that not the picture of someone whose blueprint is different to the world's? As Christians, we're called to have a blueprint that is different to the world's. We're not to worship Baal. We're not to worship the things that the world worships. And though we're struck down, we won't stay down. And though we're persecuted, we're never neglected. And like David said, we can believe that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Paul goes on to say, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith. What spirit of faith? The spirit of faith that says we're afflicted, we may be afflicted, but we're not crushed. The spirit of faith that says we may be perplexed in every way, so we may be, we may be driven to despair. Uh, sorry, we may be perplexed, but we won't be driven to despair. How's that for a good confession? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on, God, but I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and I won't be driven to despair in this situation. My blueprint is not the blueprint that the world has for me. My blueprint is not the blueprint that Satan has for me. He says, we have this same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and so I speak we believe and so we speak. In James, the Holy Spirit says that faith without works is dead. And then he goes on, and we heard it in previous weeks, he goes on to say that uh, the tongue we have uh, is the most powerful vessel that we have for turning around our life. Uh, a small rudder turns off huge ship around. Sometimes that rudder has to turn for quite a while before the ship begins to turn, especially a huge ship. But without that rudder working, without that rudder confessing what uh, God has done in our lives, the ship will never turn. We can believe all we like in the goodness of God. But until we apply works to that, and I don't mean works as in earning it, I mean works as in allowing that to impact, to be the blueprint of our life, to allow that to impact what we do, what we say, that blueprint will never come to pass in our life. It'll be like a hibernating bear. You know, bears hibernate in winter. If you're going through a walk through Canada in winter, you may walk past many bears but they may as well not be there because they're hibernating. And it really doesn't matter what we believe if we don't put words to that, if we don't put actions to that. Not that that brings deliverance, but that allows God, it gives God permit to work in our life, and it tells Satan and it tells the enemy that we may be knocked down, but we're not going to stay down. Let's just turn finally to, back to Psalm 27. And we look how David responds to things in his life. Verse 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What did he do 
because he believed that. He says, uh, when evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, what's his confession? It is they who will stumble. That's a good confession. Something's coming against you. You say, ah, I'm not going to stumble. It's you that are going to stumble. Why? Because we believe we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? And then in verse, uh, verse 4 we go on, uh, sorry, verse, verse 6. My head shall be lifted up above all my enemies. So his enemies are coming again, against him. He physically, rather than stay downcast, he lifts up his head. And what's he do? He goes into the tent and with sacrifices and shouts of joy, he sings and makes melody in his heart to the Lord and he mentions many other things in that psalm. David clearly knew that his belief was different to what the world had for him, but his beliefs about God were the blueprint of his life. Gideon discovered that his beliefs were the blueprint of his life and he had to change some of those beliefs and act on them. Blind blind Bartimaeus was no longer blind Bartimaeus because he had a different blueprint for his life. And folks, sports fans, we have a different blueprint to the world. We have a, a blueprint that calls us to be ambassadors for Christ. We have both an eternal blueprint, we know where we're going, and we've got a temporal blueprint. That means because we know that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, because we know that he dies for our sins, that if the Bible says in Romans 10, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved, and we call him Lord, then that sets the blueprint for eternity. But we also have a temporal blueprint. You have a blueprint for this life, a blueprint of beliefs that's formed in our heart that we're to act upon and to speak because that is what brings it to pass. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.